Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. We seek God in spirit and truth. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, I have an opportunity every now and then to sit down with somebody who uh, is not religious, uh, is even maybe atheist, and but they have some street cred. And tonight is an example of that. Uh, Seth and Wendy and I were able to sit down with Bill Allred of well, there's a local station here in Salt Lake called 96X, and they do a program called Radio from Hell. It's four hours every morning during the week, and Bill and two other people are the voices of that talk uh, program. And so the guy is articulate. He's got 40 years in radio experience. Uh, every well, People who are locals in Utah, and a lot of people know who Bill Allred is, and uh, I met him through uh, 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 an acquaintance in, um, at a gym downtown and uh, heard that what he does. And then I also uh, emailed him and talked to him about some questions. And, and I thought, wow, he'd make a fantastic guest. And the reason we're showing this, Bill is not a theologian. His skills and interests are in something completely different. But it's to try to show at least how I approach talking to somebody who's not a faith. You're not going to hear me. I'm, I'm going to say a couple things and listen and learn from Bill. And if you listen closely throughout the interview, you're going to hear some things that he says that are truly beautiful and are very humble and they're good. They're good things. So uh, I'm really excited to uh, air this show tonight with Bill Allred of uh, 96X here in Salt Lake City. Also want to tell you on the 18th, not next week, Tuesday, next week we're going to have a normal live program with me hosting and talking about things. But the following week, the 18th of September, we are going to air uh, McKenna Denson. And we are going to interview McKenna for one, two, three, perhaps three hours. A fascinating story out of Mormonism, a fascinating woman. Yeah, uh, history, yeah, quite uh, an unbelievable tale from being a Mormon missionary at the MTC and a MTC mission president named Joseph Bishop. You may have heard that um, McKenna recently, this past Saturday, past Sunday in Arizona, went and actually went to the ward of this man who raped her allegedly, according to McKenna. And uh, she called him out from the pulpit of a Mormon church. She was manhandled. She's really stirring up Mike Norton of New Name Noah, who's been on the show, filmed it secretly. There's a, I just saw it. Derek just showed it to me. There's a moment where one of the members of the church puts their hand in front of the camera of one of Mike's cameras, I guess. Anyway, fascinating interview coming up. Uh, we've had Christy Johnson, uh, and now we have McKenna uh, Denson coming up on September 18th. So look forward to that. Also, I want you to take a look at this spot before we go to my interview with Bill Allred. Talking to Mormons, take a look. Are you elders familiar with the Gospel Topic essays produced by the LDS Church? Of course. They're found on LDS.org. Have you read them? Honestly, I haven't read any of them yet. I've read a couple. It would seem important for you as missionaries to know what each of those essays had to say on the various gospel topics. What specific topics do they cover? Let's look at them on the church's website, lds.org. Search for Gospel Topic Essays. There are 11 of them, 
and they are listed in alphabetical order. Are Mormons Christian? Becoming Like God? Book of Mormon and DNA Studies? Book of Mormon Translation, First Vision Accounts? Joseph Smith's Teaching About Priesthood, Temple, and Women? Mother in Heaven? Peace and Violence Among Nineteenth-Century Latter-day Saints? Race and the Priesthood? Translation and Historicity of the Book of Abraham? When did the Church produce these essays? Didn't they begin publishing them in 2013 through 2015? It was in response to what members were finding on the internet about history, doctrine, and practices of the Church, because the First Presidency was concerned that much of the information was coming from questionable and unreliable sources. They commissioned these essays to be written and made available on the Church's own official website. So did our prophets and apostles write them? I highly doubt it. Probably written by LDS scholars perhaps from the religious department at Brigham Young University. I think the reason the church came out with the essays at that time was because convert rates in the LDS church had been declining greatly while a steady stream of members are leaving the faith. I'm not sure these essays are designed to restore people's faith as much as they are designed to lessen future disaffectations. With so much information readily available on the internet, the church is no longer able to hide its history and hopes to do damage control by reconciling the facts with what has been taught by church leaders in the past. So Chris, obviously you have been reading these essays. I have, and I would like to review some of them with you. Perhaps next time we could discuss the essay titled, Mother in Heaven. Because if I have a mother in heaven, I should probably know something about her, don't you think? Hey, uh, welcome. Really excited tonight. We have a special guest. Uh, um, celebrity of the local community and uh, those of you who we have a lot of Utah viewers still uh, and those of you who don't live in Utah we stream out to the world you guys in Sweden and stuff you're gonna appreciate this this guest because uh, I speak I, fluent Swedish that's <laughs> that's that's how you'll appreciate it. he's fluent in Swedish no no he uh, our guest is Bill Allred and here in Utah, there's a very popular radio morning show, uh, X96, and it's called uh, uh, Radio from Hell. I used to be involved with a guy, and he used to really hate that title. I used to laugh at him because he took it so seriously. Yeah, it's, it's a stupid title. <laughs> if we could get, if we could have gotten rid of that title somewhere along the line, we would have, but it really? became too... Yeah, we, we would have just called it the Carrie, Bill, and Gina show. Oh. But it became too ingrained and embedded into what we do, and so we couldn't get rid of he it. He hated it for uh, religious right reasons, <laughs> <laughs> which always cracked me up. No, you know where it came from was years ago, Matt, or no, uh, Richard Lewis, stand-up comedian, yeah. and he would always be talking about his girlfriend, my girlfriend from hell. Um, you know, I have a job from hell, a boss from hell. And then at the same time, kind of Matt Groening, who was, who do, does The Simpsons, he was doing a comic strip called Life in Hell. And that, so we just, just took it from that. The Girlfriend from Hell, The Job from Hell. The, so it's Radio from Hell. Awesome. And then years later, we're interviewing Richard Lewis, who's in our studio, and he said, I really should be suing you guys, you know. You stole that from me. You stole it. And I said, yes, we did. It's like, just, no. Uh, you can tell, and we're going to learn how many years that Bill has done this, and he does it Monday through Friday, and it's a three or four hour show. Four hour. Four hour, and he's nonstop. So I don't think we're going to have we're going to be short of any type of.
commentary. He's a walking encyclopedia. He also has a podcast here. He's going to talk to you about that. And then we're going to get a little bit into, uh, I, I sent him a, a text and, or sent him an email and said, hey, you know, can I categorize you as an atheist? And he sent me back a, a critique of that in a sense. <laughs> a materialist would be better uh, mm-hmm. and, and something else. And so we'll talk about that too. But at first, want to hear, because we do this with every guest, Bill, uh, where you came from, why you're here, where you're going. Tell us about your youth, oh, religious you, upbringing, you, parents. You mean, you mean you want my life story, not do I have the answer to the question, why am I here? That's right. Why are we all here? Life story. Well, yeah, no, I, I don't know if I can answer that, but I can, I can uh, tell you that I was uh, born in Ogden. Local. Yep. And uh, I grew up in Ogden. Didn't really go many places besides Ogden until I got out of college. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I think I went to California a couple of times, Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I was, you know, an Ogden boy. I, I went to Ben Lomond High School. Uh, then I went to Weber, went right to Weber State mm. College at that time mm. and uh, studied theater. Mm. Only because, th- I studied theater because, uh, well, I mean, I enjoyed acting and I acted in high school and I liked it. And I kind of wanted to be an actor and I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll study acting in college, and that would be great, but it doesn't seem very practical, but I, and, but I love English, and I love to read, so I'll, st- I'll get a degree in English and literature, and I'll become a professor and that kind of thing. You know, I'll be a, a teach people great literature and that sort of thing. And uh, I, uh, my senior year of high school, I got a letter in the mail. I don't know how they found me, the Weber State Theater Department. I don't recall that I even applied. They sent me a letter saying, we would like to offer you a scholarship to be in the theater department. I think probably my high school drama teacher had something to do with that. And I went, well, okay, if they're going to pay for my school, I'll go into the theater department. Mm -hmm. And that's where I stayed, and then I went from there. Then I left Ogden. And you know, when you're throughout your years, like probably when you're starting out in maybe junior high, when you get to high school and you start learning and seeing the, the big world yeah. out there. You think, God, I want to get out of Ogden. I want to get out of here. It's, I mean, it's a city, and I, I can always consider myself a city boy. I'm certainly no country kid. Mm-hmm. But I want to see the big world, the big cities. I want to get out of here, get out of here. So after I graduated from Weber, I went to, I got accepted to Penn State University okay. for their theater department to work in the Master of Fine Arts program, acting program. <clears throat> and so I, that's what I did. Wow. And my wife and I moved to, I'd gotten married way too young, my first wife, way too young. How I, old? I was, I think, two months shy of my 21st birthday. Wow. We were both still in school at Weber. Mm-hmm. And she was an actress and in the theater department. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we moved to Pennsylvania to go to Penn State. I went to Penn State. She worked. Um, and I was there for three years, and then decided I was going to try and be an actor. And I mean, I mean that's really what I wanted to do. Wow. And uh, I mean, every summer, you know, I'd go do regional theater stuff. And then when I left Penn State, I acted, tried to act professionally for a few years. Wow. And then uh, ended up back in. I was living in New York with a guy I'd known from um, graduate school. And uh, my wife was still living in 
Utah. She didn't want to live in New York, and so I said, well, this is where I got to do this. And um, so I was living there, and, and I got a job offer to work at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, where I'd acted there before when I was in college. And so <clears throat> I left New York, went to the Shakespeare Festival with every intention of going back to New York. Not, but when, you, when I got done with the Shakespeare Festival, I had no money. They didn't pay very well at that time. They still actors don't get paid very much, and uh, and and you also your jobs always end. So you get paid, but then the job's over. The play is over. It closes. So you have to find another job. You're always looking for another job. And I had no money, so I went back home to Ogden, lived with my wife. I got a job in a bar in Ogden. A friend of mine owned a bar there. I uh, and I helped him run the bar. And it was in the era of disco music, and we had a dance floor. And so I got to where I was spinning the records for the disco, you know, huh. Donna Summer and Rick James and the Tramps. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what is it? Burn, uh, fire, fire, you know, um, Disco Inferno, that's the song. You know, all of those things. Yeah. And, I, and I was, it was fun, kind of fun, but when you're in a bar, what do you do when you're working? You drink. So I, at some point I realized I have to get out of the bar business because I'm just, I mean, it's fun, but you, you know, you, the bar closes, you all sit, the staff sits around after the bar closes and unwinds with some, some more cocktails and, you know, it's just not a great life. And so one night I was playing records in the bar and a guy came in he said, you're really entertaining. And I said, well, thanks. I didn't say, well, I have had seven years of acting training. And <laughs> I just said, yeah, okay, thank you. And he said, you know, I just quit my job at a radio station here in Ogden, a little AM station. Well, you got to think about going in there and apply. And I did. The next morning I went in there. And as it, as it turned out, I kind of had met the owner of the station before. And he hired me. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be on the radio. That's great. I'll enjoy that. And I can make some money and go back to New York. So I wasn't on the radio. I was, he said, all I was doing was tending to the automation, you know. So tapes of other people talking. And he got, uh, I, got to, I got to record the weather once an hour from 11 to midnight, or from 11 to 6 a.m. I was there. That didn't last very long, though, because, uh, well, I, should I, I'm just going no, on yeah, here. Keep is this, going. this is interesting. Okay, okay. It's good backstory. All right. But I do want to ask, before you go on to, yeah. um, was there any LDS background? Any religious background in your life at this point? Uh, yeah. So, so that's another whole branch of story. My family is LDS, and my grandparents, in particular on my mother's side, were very staunch LDS people, you know, sons and daughters of the Utah Pioneers. Mm. And, uh, entrenched in in Ogden for several generations of uh, business in Ogden, and uh, so I grew up with that. And my mother, their their daughter, was religious. And I'm trying to think when I was really young, we went to church, and my grandparents would take me to church a lot, and and um, and then when I was uh, 
you know, junior high school and getting into high school, I really was becoming like devout. I mean, this, this, I'm going to put all my effort into this and, and really, um, try to live it. And, and there are important things here for me. And, and I gave it uh, my best for three or four years there. But when I was about 16 or so, I was I was uh, the people that I saw in the the ward that I was in that were so pious on Sundays and church things and people in the bishopric and things like that. And they were just pious. And then I knew for a fact that they were assholes who beat their kids and you know. And I, I, that's very jarring and, mm-hmm. and unpleasant. Mm-hmm. They were hypocrites. They were just awful hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I met a girl that I started having sex with, mm-hmm. and that was kind of a change in my life. And I just That changes a lot. That really does. <laughs> that gives you a whole new yeah. world view, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and she smoked, and I started smoking because she smoked. And that was a lot. That was a habit that man I carried with me for years and oh. years and years and years. Thanks a lot, honey. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a good thing that that relationship was as tempestuous as it was. Uh. Uh, and I won't go into all of the details of that, but uh, because I would have married her, oh. I would have married that girl. Mm. That would have been the hugest mistake I ever made. Mm. Oh man, that would have been a bad mistake. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, at that point, I just thought, I don't. This is not for me anymore. Yeah. About sixteen years old, I think. Sixteen going on seventeen. I just like. Pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose I still, I still kept some idea that uh, there was a God, and mm-hmm. but you know, <clears throat> in a way, it you know you you say uh, I say these things, but I know to be true. <laughs> I, I say these things like, well, I quit because they were hypocrites, and I quit because of sex, and I quit. But, you know, it's just easier not to go to church. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, it, part of it's just laziness. Mm. It requires Mormonism, and, and I'm sure other religions, if you are devout in them, mm-hmm. they, they require too much of you. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. It, it's too much, and especially back then. I know the Mormon Church over the years has pared back a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. You know that they try to roll all the meetings into one day, and you know try to because they realize that they're at. But they still ask. They ask too much of you. Yeah. And it's and it's and I think a lot of people fall away just because they go. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I, I so, can see that and agree with it completely. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's probably that's my religious. That was my religious upbringing. I'm glad I had it. Any siblings? Yeah, I have. Um, I have a. Uh, I'm the oldest. My brother Scott is t- two years younger than I am, and really different from me in mm. terms of political philosophy and mm. things like that. Uh, and then uh, my brother Noel uh, ended his life by suicide about. Ten years ago, and then I have a, a, a sister, my little sister Penny, who's now I don't know how old Penny is in her fifties, and uh, she and she and my brother Scott still live in Ogden. Mm-hmm. My parents are both 
or all of my parents are dead. Mm-hmm. Not both, they're all. <laughs> I had a father that I didn't know. Oh. My mother was uh, got married really young and uh, had me and my brother, Scott. And that marriage fell apart. And then she remarried to the, to the man that raised me, essentially. And, and uh, they had two more children, uh, my brother Noel and my sister Penny. And um, so, and uh, so then I guess the question would be, are any of them religious? Yeah. No. Okay. No. My my father, the guy I call my father, and he actually legally adopted me and, mm. and my brother Scott. He was he never went to church really. He was an alcoholic, mm. and but he came from a you know a strong his 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 parents uh, and all of these people are gone now. Uh, but his parents, uh, his father was from a polygamist mm. family. His his father remembers his. So my grandfather remembers his father having two wives. Wow! There were two households. This is up in um, Spring City, mm. where there were, and I think still are, a lot of polygamists up in that area. Mm-hmm. Up in uh, what what county is that? It's where Ephraim and Manti and. Yeah, that's, that's not San. State. I don't that's know. not San Pete, is it? Maybe. Anyway, uh, there there are a lot of polygamists up there, and he remember my grandfather, my grandpa Allred, uh, would tell the stories. He said, "Yeah, there was uh, my mother, and then there was Aunt Mary, mm. and and my dad would be you know at our house for X number of nights a week, and then he would go stay at Aunt Mary's for X number of nights a week." Wow. So yeah, there's a lot of Mormonism. I don't, you're not supposed to say that anymore. No, I don't know what you're supposed to say. Mormon! Mormon, Mormon. You LDS, Mormons. LDS, LDS. You Mormons out there, you. <coughs> so, yeah, strong, strong you know, and it's a good background, really. I, I struggled with it, with it for, for a long time until just recently in terms of, you know, I wish I had a, you know, sometimes you, you talk to uh, uh, people who are Jewish, and not only, I mean, they have the religion, but they have, they have the history. Yeah, yeah. They have traditions. I live next door to a, a Jewish woman. She's now just there herself. Her kids there, working there. Her husband is dead, but they're Jewish, and uh, you know, they observe the traditions, and uh, uh, you know, they celebrate the holidays, and. Uh, <laughs> They, so every year for Hanukkah, they invite us over uh, and to do a Hanukkah celebration with the lighting of the candles and all of that. And, and my kids say, when, when people ask them, what's your favorite Christmas tradition? They say, oh, going next door for Hanukkah. <laughs> That's what we love, going next door for Hanukkah. It's so, a great culture and tradition, isn't mm-hmm. it? So and you miss that? About- well, yeah, sometimes I, thought, I think, well, I don't have that, but I do. Yeah. The background, you know, and uh, uh, some, uh, a lovely woman, Lindsay... Lindsay Park, Lindsay Hanson Park, who mm-hmm. runs Sunstone, mm-hmm. said, uh, "You you do you know you're a Mormon. You're a cultural Mormon. Mm-hmm. You're not, you may you are not an observing an observant Mormon, but culturally you are a Mormon. Yeah, which means I like white bread and yeah <laughs> and Jello and Kool Aid. There you go. Yeah, yeah. As far as removed as I am theologically and in praxis and everything else, I'm still that's still my family. It's still my culture. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I get that completely. Mm-hmm. So you're spinning. You're no. You're not spinning. You're uh, you're doing a few things at the radio, and then what happens? I just stayed there. I start. So I was the the first night I worked there 
from 11 to 6. I just, can you swear on this? That's up to you. Well, I say I sure. fucked everything up. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, there were say that. T- 12 songs playing on the, on the radio at once, <laughs> you know, and, it, and I didn't know. You know what I'm going? Because they, they, and you know, they do that to this day. They, we hire new people. We say, okay, this is how it works. Do it, and and we and they make mistakes. And the, and I made bad mistakes. And the guy who was doing the morning show, and this is an AM station in Ogden. It was a very popular station in Ogden at the time. Yeah. Um, the guy who was doing the morning show came in, and and I'd had this horrible night. And he looked at me and says, "Well, I guess some people just aren't cut out for radio." Uh-huh. And I just went. We'll see about that, won't we? Yeah. We'll see about that. I might have just quit, at, but it, but he said that and it made me dig in my heels. Mm. And so, uh, not long after that encounter, he came to me again and said, "How would you like to be on a morning show with me? You know, I'll do the a- announcing and the introducing of the songs like I always do, but I, I like to do little sketches and write sketches and things like that, and little bit. And you could be a." like a sidekick and an actor, and, and then do all the news, cover the news. Oh. And I said, sure. And so, just went from there. I just kept at it. It was a steady paycheck. I liked it. I, uh, and I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know exactly where I would go with it other than, you know, there were very popular shows on the radio at the time, all based out of Salt Lake, of course. Um, John and Dan in the morning, the Dawn Patrol, uh, Fisher and Todd. Mm. Uh, those were the two most popular kind of uh, pop and entertainment shows that mm. played music and everything. And, and I was listening to, I don't know, one of them one day. And I've told John Carter this now, you know, because he's still doing radio too at, at, uh, one of, at the Arrow. You know, I said to him, I was listening to you guys one day and I said to myself, I can do that. I can do I can do better than that, mm. and uh, so I made that kind of challenge to myself. And we, my partner, radio partner, started. We started kind of attacking them and mm. going after them and trying to be, you know. And uh, but I knew I'd arrived in the radio business. Um, I was doing okay. We were. I wasn't making a lot of money, but and I didn't really know if we were very popular because this station didn't have ratings. Was, we didn't pay for them. We were too small, and so we just didn't have. We weren't privy to them. I don't. And it was a bad signal, and we were in Ogden. Okay. But um, I knew I'd kind of arrived when I was driving my family. We were going to the airport to go on vacation, so I was listening to John and Dan on the radio, and all of a sudden I hear, "Oh yeah, yeah, that uh, that Dom Casual." I think it was was it my partner Dom there, or maybe it was Carrie. Anyway. He's, he's okay, but that Bill Allred's just a dick. <laughs> you knew it. You know, at first I went, hey, and then I went, hey. <laughs> I've arrived. So John Carter has called me a dick. Can, I'm breathing down his neck. You know, he, yeah. and, and you know, we, he and I have talked about this since then, and he mm. thinks it's pretty funny. He's, mm. you know, he's had a great career in radio, and, yeah. you know. But, uh, so it just went on, and we, we became more and more popular, and... Traveling down the road, was this with the first wife and the kids? Mm-hmm. How many kids? Four. Two with my first wife, mm-hmm. and two with my, I guess I call her my current, current wife. wife. Yeah. However, there will, there will never be another one. Don't mean, you found the right one. Yeah. Nice. 
But if something happened, there would still there would never be there'd be another be another no one. there would never be another one no I would never get married again I see that was I've done that yeah you know I was like it's like uh, uh, so I was married almost twenty years the first time and I've been married now twenty years the second wow time. yeah so you're a you, you a life do it yeah a lifer yeah uh, but I yeah I just wouldn't. It's like I've, I've done I've done marriage. I know what it is. Yeah. I think finally, yeah. um, and it's like uh, I used to ride motorcycles a lot, take big touring bikes around the country, and and somebody says, "Don't you ever miss that?" And I go, "No, not really. I did it. Yeah, you know, I've done that. That's part of my life. I've done. I don't really need to do that again." Yeah, we're similar in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the things you do, you really do it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do yeah, it. Yeah, and I really love doing it, but I don't I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So, how many years on radio to this date? Uh, 19, so, I started doing that overnight thing where I was just pl- screwing up the tapes. Yeah. Uh, started in 1970. Wow. So, I don't, how many years is that? That's 30, 48. 48? Is that 48 years? That's I think amazing. it is. Amazing. I think, isn't it? Yeah. 70. Is that right? That's 30, there? 48 years. Is that right? Get the okay. calculator out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that is just remarkable. Wow. And how many people you've reached? And I, I would imagine that your acting skills, seven years of acting training, came into play, has, have come, has come into play. It's really, it's great. It's like I, because we, especially for the last, since 2011, we stopped playing music on the morning show. So it's nothing but talk and news and 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 farting around and you know mm-hmm. uh, some of it's serious and some of it's playful and mm-hmm. and it's um, I just I think of it as sort of entertainment radio it's mm-hmm. not it's not a hardline talk show mm-hmm. it's just you know it's meant to be entertaining for the most part mm-hmm. um, uh, so it but it's like doing a little show every day a little play every day mm-hmm. and a long it's a long form play. Yeah. You know, very since 2011, 2011, we've been doing that. We have three of us now. There's Kerry, my partner. He's been he and I have been partners uh, since 1986. We had a little break because the stations station split up, and a bunch of us went and started at X96. Mm-hmm. We had come from this radio station that was based out of Ogden where I was KJQ mm-hmm. and that grew big grew quite big but then there were a lot of legal problems and staff problems and not really worth going into the details of that mm-hmm. and uh, so a bunch of people left KJQ and started X96 and Carrie who was my partner for uh, reasons again which aren't important stayed there and I had a new partner for a couple of years at X96, Dom Casual was his name. Mm. He decided he was going to go off and pursue bigger things, and we're looking, who are we going to get to replace Dom with you, Bill, on the morning show? And I said, now, Carrie by this time was doing mornings on um, KZHT, solo morning show, and I said, Carrie, we were together for since 86. It's now 90 six or seven or whatever it was and, mm-hmm. but people still remember us being together mm-hmm. and we work well together 
although we hate each other a lot of times, but we work well together on sure. the radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by when I say we hate each yeah, other, yeah. it's not. Yeah. You know, we we're fine. Uh, but you know, you get into little tiffs. But we part of the success is you keep the band together. Mm. You know, the, a lot of rock bands fall. They they're great. They're talented. But the reason they don't make it is yeah. because squabbles. And, mm-hmm. You know, he's sleeping with that bandmate's girlfriend, and you know, and they they're always together, and they party together, and they and they band breaks up. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but we've managed to keep the band together. And then we added Gina Barberi mm. to the show. She's the new person, and she's been there for 20 years, or, you know, Amazing. 16 years or something like that. So, do you? Uh, is it a collaborative effort? Very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say the way we keep it together is that we don't we don't socialize with each other okay. really. I mean, occasionally we do, but it's not like we're best friends. We get we get done with the show. We do whatever we have to do afterwards, and and then we go home to our. We have very different lives, all three of us. Mm-hmm. They don't intersect very often. Sometimes they do, but occasionally we've gone on, like we'll go on a work trip or something, and some wives will come along and that kind of thing. But for the most part, we don't. Fascinating. Yeah, and I think that's been really, and it keeps the show fresh too because we're not talking about doing the same things all the time. We can all bring some fresh stuff to the show because we have other lives. Vital. Yeah. You know, uh, years ago, I I worked about six years on the beach in in Huntington Beach as a beach ocean lifeguard. And the way that we would describe that as uh, long stretches of tedious boredom punctuated by moments of absolute terror. Yeah, I would imagine. How do you, would you summarize radio? If you could kind of think about it, all your years in it, Doing radio, what, how do you how do you explain to someone like me? This is what radio is like. That's a hard. That's a pretty hard question. Is it? I guess it's like uh, because uh, I mean there are all different kinds of yeah. shows and things, but what it's like for us mm-hmm. is, in certain ways, the four hours of the day that we're doing that show, in in a lot of ways, and I. They're the best four hours of my day because I don't have to think about the pressing problems that I have to deal with after the show. You know, the you know the sick kids at home, or uh, how are we going to pay this bill, or um, you know, my my mother-in-law is really ill, or or at the time, you know, my mother was very ill, and my mother's dying, or my brother. Uh, took his own life and you know we don't it's an escape from all of that doing the show is an escape from all of that like acting yeah although we let the audience in on they know a lot of it they know a lot of our what goes on in our lives and that kind of thing but some a listener once said to me said aren't you afraid that we know too much about you and I said no because we really we only let you know the things that we want you to know sure and some of those things are very personal and intimate but there's a lot more there that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have, Bill, Allred, do you have a personal, uh, it's kind of a bad word, agenda that you want to bring to the shows as often as possible? Is there, is there something you want to constantly rhyme people of, like Bob Barker had animal rights, and you know, is there something you want to, people to think about? 
No, no specific. I do a lot of stuff with suicide awareness now. Um, and over the years, we've done a lot of stuff with um, the the road home and homelessness. Mm. Those are kind of the two big things. But the, I, you know, I guess the agenda that I would try to impress on people who listen to the show is pay attention to what's going on around you in the world. Pay attention and don't believe everything just because you see it on Facebook or a tweet or um, take a minute and think about things. And and then I would just also say how important it is to be nice to each other. Mm. We need to be nice to each other, nicer to each other than we are. Mm-hmm. And it's also come, this is kind of an agenda that I've decided I'm pushing. Uh, it happened recently. I was at Winco, the, the Marx mm-hmm. store, you know, the one, new one on State Street. Yeah. And I'd never been in a Winco before, by the way, until that one on State Street. And I'd heard about what Winco was like. And uh, I went to that one on State Street and I just went, Wow, I really like this place. Hmm. But uh, I was there the other day. I don't get there very often because I don't live close to it. But uh, So I was there the other day. It wasn't very busy. And I was walking past the bakery section. And there was a woman working there in the bakery. And I, I don't remember exactly what she was doing. She was, you know, putting br- bread in bags. or But she was doing some kind of work at the bakery. Uh, and she was singing. Hmm. Not loud just singing while she worked. And I don't even know what the song was, just a little, singing a little melody really softly. And I thought, God, that's nice. That's really nice. And I went on. And you know what, I should have stopped. And I should have gone up to her and said, excuse me, I don't want to embarrass you. And I, but I think it's just great that you're just, you're singing and it was, it's lovely. Have a nice day. And I thought, you know, we just don't do that kind of thing often enough. Uh, tell each other when we're impressed with something they've done, or or grateful for something, or or we know like I'm like I'm looking at you right now, and I'm just I'm thinking, you know, you just have a you have a lovely beard. It's extreme. It's and I mean you do. It's extremely well coiffed. You take care of it. I can tell you take care of it. it it's great. You have your your tan. You have great eyes. You know. You should tell people stuff that like that more often. Why? What's inside Bill that you want to do that? Because it makes me feel good. It makes, I mean, it makes me feel good to see your beard. I see. Well quaffed. It doesn't make me feel good necessarily to compliment you. Oh, about okay. It. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's kind of creepy sometimes. <laughs> you know, it can be kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think if you do it the right way, yeah. it's not really creepy. You know, just yeah. say, you know, you have really nice eyes. Yeah. Or that's a great beard. Mm. Why not just do stuff like that? Because you notice it. Mm-hmm. You notice things about people, mm-hmm. or they sing, or they do. You see them do something kind, or let them know that you saw that, and and it, you know, it was it was great. I think it just people need. Is it still allowable for us to do that to the opposite sex in a public place? It's a good question. Things have gotten ugly um, with this. I think so. If you if you know. I don't think there's anything, I don't think, I mean, there are some people who will react poorly. I could have said to that woman, I don't mean to be 
rude and I don't want to embarrass you, but I think it's lovely the way you're singing. Mm -hmm. Now that could have made her feel threatened a little bit, or it could have. And yeah. and and you know, if you do it, and you see that, say you say again, I I don't mean to scare you or anything, but have a nice day. I think you're fine mm -hmm. if you okay. do that. But most people, I don't think, do that. Mm -hmm. I think you could even say to a member of the opposite sex, even someone you don't know. You're walking, you're, you know, you're, you're talking to him for a second or whatever. And you say, you know, that's really a lovely dress. Mm. That's very nice. Mm -hmm. It's good on you. And most people will go, oh, thanks. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Because they, I think people can read your intent. Yeah. You know, I think if you, so. If you go, hey, that is really. <laughs> it's on the delivery. Yeah. That is, that dress is, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's something. You know, it's. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think people get intent. You and I suffer, so to speak, I think, from something that maybe you don't realize or maybe you don't know, but when I saw you for the first time or second time, Richard Dutcher, by the way, uh, who's been on the show and he's a good friend of, of mine and, and Bill's, he's the one who said, you should talk to Bill. I didn't know Bill, and, but what I did know is that I would see a guy at the gym, we both go to the same gym, and uh, when you look at Bill for the first time, you think... That could be a dangerous man. Really? When, yes, you do. When you look at me for the first time, people think probably that could be a dangerous man. Yeah, except, I, except you have. I mean, again, you smile, and it's just like <laughs> same with you. Same with you. No danger. Maybe there. you're not happy on that life cycle, and so you're not, I'm not smiling. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> and I, but I don't do it enough, obviously. Yeah, me either. So, but I mean, here in this world of Utah, and you having grown up. You do present the antithesis to the Mormon look. <laughs> you, you, you just do. Mm -hmm. And I do too. And I do it. And there's a price for that sort of socially. Maybe not for you, but there is to me. I, I sense it all the time. Moving up here from Southern California, I, I sense it sometimes. And, and I get it. But that's not something that's really, you don't really care. You don't, it doesn't affect you. You know nope. who you are. Nope. Do people know you in public? Yeah, usually. I mean, uh, usually somebody, no matter where I go, usually at least one person will come up and say, hey, hey, yeah, hey, Bill, how you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, my, my policy is if you see me, please come up and say hi, and I'll offer you a hearty handshake. Oh, nice. Because there's nothing better than a hearty handshake. There's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I can think of a few things better. Well, but, but I mean, yeah, just I'm, like, you know, just like, that's yeah. nice to see you. Yeah. That's a good thing. I don't high five. You don't? I don't know. No knuckle, no. boom. no. You want the hearty handshake. Yeah. No. See, high-fiving, it used to be actually against our, fam our family rules. My, my kids, people would go to high-five them, and they'd say, no, we don't do that in our family. <laughs> That's so, part, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, well, no, no, we don't high-five in our family. <laughs> it, and people would go, what? But I changed my policy on that, though. Mm. I will high-five if it's offered. It's because it's, <laughs> because it's mean to leave people hanging Hang like it. that. Okay. What and about it, the fist? Yeah, probably. All right, all right. I'll do it, but I will never initiate that shit. Okay. No, no, never. Never. This is a man who speaks his mind. He speaks it. That is awesome. Uh, how old the youngest child? How old? Uh, four, 14. Wow. 14, so still going through it. <laughs> Boy, is she. Wow. Yeah. Four, I, and a daughter. Daughter, I have two. I have a fourteen-year-old daughter, a nineteen-year-old son, a twenty, 
27, 28-year-old daughter who has more tattoos than you. Oh, good. And a 30-year-old son. Wow. So, all, all local? Yeah, they're all here. Close to them? Uh, the, the two older kids live in Ogden. Uh -huh. my, my son works at the radio station with uh -huh. me, uh, helping out on the show and, mm -hmm. and stuff. You know. So, politically, big big uh, topic for you, important to you? Yeah, yeah, it, and it now more so than ever. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's always been important. We, the reason we started doing Straight Talk in 2011, <clears throat> before that we were playing music, alternative rock music, and and doing the show around that. We usually play only about four songs or something in an hour, maybe five. Mm -hmm. But we always kind of wanted to go the talk route. And th at that time, there were several really successful shows in the, in the country that were doing that, all talk format for four hours or so. So, uh, so 9-11 happened. That was 2011, right? Was it 2011. Two, was that 9 /11. right? 9-11. 2001. Yeah, so, so it's two, yeah, I thought that was a little too recent. Was, thank you. It was 2000, there are elves over there. That's the cage of intelligence. <laughs> is that what it yeah. is? So, <laughs> the cage of intelligence. Yeah. It's, so, it's so intelligent, <laughs> we have to cage it we up. We do. <laughs> uh, thank you, 2001, yeah. That's when we stopped music, uh, because we were doing the show one day, and uh, there were TV monitors. We had a, there was a coffee shop uh, in the building in Trolley Corners where we, were, where we did the show, coffee shop that the station owned, and then our studio had a window out on, into the coffee shop, mm -hmm. and, um, and there were TV monitors around, and we saw the World Trade Center thing happen. And of course, we start talking about it on on the air, and trying to piece it together. And then all of a sudden, we notice people start coming into the coffee shop. More and more and more and more, and they were there because they were listening to us talk about this event. And it was there were TV monitors. We said we're watching, and it was like all of a sudden there was this community gathering. And there was probably 150 people in the middle of the day, and they kept coming in and coming in. It was the strangest thing. And we were supposed to go off the air at 10, and our, one of our program directors or managers came and said, stay on, stay on the air for a little while longer. Just, you might, just keep it going. Keep talking. People, look at these people. They're here because they need something. Yeah. And so we... We did. I forget how long we stayed on. And then uh, the next day, we had one one program director who said, "Well, okay, now we'll go back to playing music and, and everything. Go back to playing music." And we said, nah. "And then, but a, a manager ahead of him, higher up than him, said, "Nope, no, you you need to, we need to talk about this. Just talk. And if people want to call in, they they'll want to call in and talk about it." And they did. And that was just four hours, and I think maybe we stayed on longer than four hours that day too. People just calling, and there were people coming to the coffee shop, and, and people just needed something. You know, they needed to 
try and process it. It was so, and we were just help, trying to help. We were just processing it along with them, but that was important to them. And uh, then the next day, the, pro, the big programmer, who we had been saying to for years, we should stop playing music, said, you know, I think you guys ought to stop playing music. Wow. <laughs> so uh, so that, that really politicized us. I mean, I've always been yeah. political, but... Super right-wing conservative? You bet. Yeah, no. I knew it. No, I've always been a real bleeding heart liberal. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, uh, this is my mother. You know, she was a very, very kind and liberal person. She believed in trying to do the best you could by your fellow man, not by doing, you know, lining your own pockets at yeah. the expense of others. And, uh, and so, although her father, my grandfather, who I love dearly, was a very successful businessman and made a lot of money in his life and he was a very conservative he was you know he would have probably voted for Donald Trump uh, he was the only the only place he got his news was from the US News and World Report you know, Newsweek too liberal time too liberal wow. the US News and World Report that's where I get my news you know. um, but so I've always been liberal and a radical, you know, during the Vietnam War, I went to the, you know, all the protests and did all of that, and mm -hmm. um, I have some regrets there, you know, but uh, just in terms of, there were a lot of kids my age who went to Vietnam, 17, 18, and I avoided doing that intentionally avoided it uh, and they went over there either they didn't have the means to avoid it or they didn't think about avoiding it or they or they thought it was the right thing to do it wasn't but that's not their fault mm -hmm. they were cannon fodder mm -hmm. they were sent there as a you know to further an agenda that was not true and uh, and I feel bad that that I feel awfully bad, guilty sometimes, you know that 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 they did that and and so many lost their lives or came back with PTSD and which they didn't even know what that was at the time, mm -hmm. and and I I didn't, and I sometimes think God, I sh maybe I should have, maybe I should have gone and and my wife says to me no 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 you shouldn't have you did the right thing uh it wasn't the right it it was not the right war to be fighting you know so i'm been politically liberal like that all all my life it's got i think I've, it's gotten worse though if you know stronger recently and i really would consider myself um uh, i was reading an article i've, I've said i'm a socialist and um, somebody, some article or editorial I was reading said, you know, that word scares people so badly, mm -hmm. even though they are the benefit of socialist programs mm -hmm. here in America, mm -hmm. you know, Medicare, uh, you know, uh, Social Security, uh, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but the word socialism, they've been trained to be frightened of that word. 
Uh, and there are very successful countries who are capitalist countries who have a form of socialism that works very well for them. Sure. And you know, they, we always turn to the Scandinavian countries, but it's true. Denmark, I've been to, uh, I've been to Finland, I've been to uh, Denmark, I've been to those countries. They're, they're great, you know, they do well. Sure. Um, and, and they don't discourage capitalism, they encourage, there they're are very successful businesses yeah. there and business people, but they, they also know, realize the importance of taking care of their citizens. Mm -hmm. But the word socialism is so scary, so you should say you're a democratic socialist. Mm. And we want a form of social democracy. I see. Be a democratic socialist. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, how I, that's where I am politically. And what to say about the current situation? I don't know. Well, I mean, I know what happened. I know why it happened, I think. Mm. I'm hoping that it is a bump on the road. Mm. A bump in the road, because we, were, we have been becoming a more socially liberal country. Mm -hmm. We've had same-sex marriage, the law of the land. Who the hell ever thought that would happen? And, mm -hmm. and as it turned out, when it happened so quickly. I have a friend who says it's like, it's like bankruptcy. Bankruptcy happens very slowly until it doesn't. <laughs> and then it gets really fast and you're done. Huh. And it's, uh, so, so we have same-sex marriage. We have, in 28 states, some form of legalized marijuana. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it frightens a segment of people. They don't, they just, they, they just can't understand it. They transgender bath same-sex bathrooms mm -hmm. oh my god mm -hmm. let me tell you every single one of you people have a same-sex bathroom in your house <laughs> and every plane you get on exactly yeah, yeah. it's you know I've used same-sex bathrooms on many occasions mm -hmm. and never had a problem with it mm -hmm. uh, now they they say you know well what it's gonna be guys you know wanting to go into the girls bathroom so they'll pretend they're transgender no it's, you know, if it ever happened or happens, it's like point zero 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 point one percent of the. Yeah. Was that good math there? They're calculating. Yeah. You know, it just it's not. It, a I lot was of at, fear. I was at the the fair, the or the the state fair mm -hmm. here in Salt Lake. And the bathroom, the men's bathroom, was just jammed. It was so full. And, uh, and there were women standing in line outside the women's because they have, you know, other needs and it's, it's a little more difficult for them to... You've, se you've seen sure. it, you know, like you go to the basketball game and, the, oh, yeah. and, the, and there's a big line at the, at the women's restroom and the men can kind of breeze in and out. So we're all standing there at urinals or I think maybe they have those trough things out there, which I really... I actually like those, but... Um, you the know, trough? Yeah. Actually, have you ever seen the circular trough? Yes. Those are terrifying to me. Yeah, I don't care for that yeah. too much. I don't really want to look at another guy's right. junk. Right. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, in, in Amsterdam, there are, and I saw that they just did this in Paris too. There are some outdoor like uh, bathrooms. You, you, it's just. I mean, you, there, there's just barely a little partition, and you go in there and go to the bathroom, and it's kind of odd, but. Uh, anyway, I've, uh, th this back to the fair. So there are all, all these guys standing there, and we hear this, Yoo-hoo, I'm coming in. I can't hold it. I can't wait. And this woman came into the bathroom, and, and there was a stall open. Wow. And went, and I just thought, I, I think I said, more power to you, ma'am, over my shoulder, you know. 
You know, there's yeah. I don't. It's just not a big deal. Right. So you can see that I'm pretty liberal. I see. Yeah. Pretty liberal. If we're segue now. Okay. If there was a god, mm-hmm. would he love Bill Allred? I don't know. What do you think? It seems like a trick question. It's not. It's not. <laughs> You're a trying trick to trap me, aren't you? I am not. Everyone thinks I want to trap them when they come on here and I throw out. It is not a trap. I want to just know if you were allowed yourself the concept of an okay. omnipotent god. Okay. Here's the answer to that. Okay. If there were a god, yeah. if he would be so con- so much more concerned with other things, he he would not have time for me. Really? He wouldn't have time to. But what? I must. I would be a fly speck on the windshield of the universe. Really? He doesn't have time to mess around. He, you know whether Bill Allred's been a good guy or a bad guy. Mm. What, do I like Bill Allred? I don't. Please, I've got other things to attend to. Well, I've got famines to start and plagues and. You have four children and you love them. That's all I'm saying. He created you. If the God of the Judeo-Christian ethic existed. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you, if you allowed yourself that idea, would you think that, like a, any other father or creator, he would love Bill Allred? Or you I, just don't. You just think he just would be too so. Hard. Well, and it's just too hard for me to entertain because I don't. I don't believe there's some, you know, right. patriarchal figure up in the sky watching over us all and making note of what we do and don't do. Uh, if if there ever was a God, he's long since left. He's abandoned us and gone somewhere else. You really think he did if, that? If, like if, Nietzsche said. Yeah, if, if, there's, yeah, if there ever was a God, he checked out a long time ago. He just went, you know what? This didn't work out too well. I'm going to go start something else. <laughs> we call that the uh, departing God theory. Mm-hmm. He left. There is a God. He took off. Yeah, he took off. There's, he, just, uh, he said, this is not working the way I wanted it to. I'll try it somewhere else. Way behind on child support. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, but I don't, yeah. When I, did you come to, let's just talk about this, because this is interesting to me, because uh, this is what we're about. Mm-hmm. When did you come to the realization, mm, did it coincide with when you learned to have sex? No. <laughs> no. No, for a long time I said I was agnostic. Okay. But I think that's, that's cheating. That's okay, a, that's, that's a, cheating. That's being equipped. That's equivocating. I love your honesty, by the way. I love how straightforward you are. I really uh, do. Is there something you need? Something? I'm looking for my water. And I it think was right there. I think our it, intelligence cage moved it. It's, it's, I think it's, it's right there by your foot. It's right there. Oh, there it is. Right. So, um, I knew it was right there. Uh, yeah, I, for so, so for a long time I said, well, I'm agnostic. There must be a higher power out there. So, so. So at first I said, I, uh, well, I just don't know. Well, that's a cop-out. Yeah. You know, shit or get off the pot when it comes to it. Okay. Just be, be, be it or don't, don't do it. Um, so then I said, well, I'm not agnostic. I'm atheist. And, uh, and my kids, if you ask them, my two younger kids in particular, uh, they, I think they say, no, well, well, we're atheists and we don't. We don't observe. We don't. We're atheists. Mm-hmm. Although my daughter would probably say, "I don't know." Oh, you know. Yeah. My son would go, "No, I'm an atheist." Mm-hmm. My 19-year-old. Um. So I guess at some point, I I do remember an incident where I was uh, with a theater company in Florida, 
And we were touring all over the state doing plays for, for kids, children's plays. And uh, I went into a shop that sold all of these seashells. You know, just you could, people collect these remarkable seashells. Mm -hmm. You could go in there and buy shells of all different kinds. Beautiful, intricate things that just, you know, you think, my man, these are just so beautiful and so intricate and the colors and, and the construction of them. And, um, and I, I remember somebody the, who worked in the shop saying, you know, a lot of these came from the depths of the ocean where nobody ever sees them. You know, they're just, and I thought, well, that's, that's really amazing and weird that these beautiful creations are at the bottom of the sea where nobody observes them. All of that beauty. And then I think the person said, and it's wonderful that, they, that they, we can bring them to the surface so that you know, we can see God's creation. So you think that God created these beautiful shells so that we could see them at some point for our, for our you know, enjoyment and beauty. No, man, they're just down there. They're down there at the bottom of the sea. They're not there. And coming up, it got, it, you know, I think, I, I think I'm glad I can see them. They're beautiful. But I don't think there's any design to that. It's, it's um, the wonders of, and then I started thinking about astronomy and, um, and the wonders of the universe and, and how vast the universe is. And I thought, is it, it's sacrilegious to say that, that this some, some guy with a, a beautiful beard <laughs> uh, created all of this, mm. you know, and on the seventh day he rested. Mm. This is so vast, trying to boil it down into something that we can understand mm. is, is irreligious or sacrilegious. It is, the, it is unknowable. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of the philosophy I've come to over the years. And it's not that I don't believe we shouldn't study things in an attempt to understand them, philosophize about things to try and come to some... I think we need to come to knowledge of self with all of that mm. uh, and to help us understand our surroundings. But I think ultimately it's unknowable. You know, that's, but that's what we do as human beings. If, if it's, we try to know. Mm -hmm. We try to figure these things out. We try. And, and, and over, religious allegory uh, in many ways to me is just, it's a foolish attempt, mm -hmm. a childish attempt mm -hmm. to try and explain something that's unexplainable mm -hmm. or inexplicable, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that could that make sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective and others who are like me, I would agree how the vastness is there is unknowable and to attribute it to certain, oh, this happened mm -hmm. this way, seven days stuff. I mm -hmm. look at, wave my hands. Mm -hmm. But unlike you, I would find that if God created things, that you would find them to be intricate and beautiful and diverse like you did in the shell shop. Mm -hmm. And like at the birth of a child and, and just, there's just, for me, that doesn't resonate to you at all. I'm just trying to understand Bill. Does not resonate. Did you ever watch the birth of a child? 
I have watched okay. the birth of a child. It's not that beautiful, okay? The child's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so talking about the bad yeah. shot. I'm talking yeah. about the 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 child uh, is beautiful coming out. Uh, it's, no, it's not. Well, okay, uh, but it is it is remarkable. I remember when my son was born, and I uh, and I was there, and there were people in the room. There was a doctor and and a nurse and me and my wife, and then all of a sudden. There was another person in the room. Hmm. Where did that? That's a person mm-hmm. who who was who is now here. Mm-hmm. That's was a, that's remarkable. It's really cool. But but I don't think that there's some great architect no who have who has set this all in motion. Hmm. No, I think it's much more awesome and in the true sense of the word f- making one full of awe you know and and awe awe is a it's the kind of thing that you know people go awesome yeah, yeah. Nah, come yeah. on really awe is something that knocks you on your ass yeah yeah it's so profound mm-hmm. and i think that that it is so awesome that these things happen all and sort of meant by a materialist I don't think there's anything supernatural. Mm-hmm. Everything can be explained. I don't believe it ever will all be explained in terms of how the material world has come together. Sure, there there is a, a scientific explanation for everything. Material origin. Yeah. No metaphysical. No metaphysical. No supernatural. And that you know, I came. It was a long time before I came to that. Yeah. Because I I. Uh, I kept thinking, well, there's, I don't believe there's a God, but there's some force out there. And I guess I sort of still believe that, but it's a, it's not a thing, it's not a person, it's a, I mean, it's not a person, it's a, it's unknowable. Okay. You've used unknowable several times, which is, uh, in the Greek, is gnoskis, and it's just without knowledge, and that is really agnosticism, that word you think mm-hmm. is more cheap. Because atheism says, I know there is no God. Mm-hmm. And so I really wonder, just, and I'm not pushing you in any corner, <laughs> but I really do wonder, are you truly an atheist? Someone told me there's no such thing as atheists. I said, shut up. They tell me they're atheists. If they say it, they believe it, they are. But do you see that an atheist says, I know there is no God, versus an agnosticist says, I don't know. I don't care. You know? I know there is, I, I mean, as much as I can know anything, I do not believe there is a God. Okay. I think when I die, I am dead. I am food for worms. Um, and death, it might be, When you die, the self, I think it's the thing that is the self, me, Bill Allred, stops. And that, and that is a release because being yourself is a burden. It really is. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm glad I have it and I'm glad to be alive, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm glad I have had the life I've had for the most part. 
I hope to have more of it. But there's something about it that stands in the way of knowing what's there. What? Not. That's not it. It's just. I think. I think everything you need to know about God is within you. Okay. Oh, I'm probably pounding the microphone there. Sorry. Uh, what everything? What you need to know about God is within you, not out there somewhere. Mm. And I think maybe when you die, and I think maybe it's just maybe that last moment you go, oh, oh, and then it's then it's done. I, I like Carl saying, and he used to say he's an atheist, but he would say he'd say. Uh, you know, I am made of the same stuff as the stars. And I've heard, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, say it, the famous celebrity astronomer. You know who I mean. Yeah, uh, the guy in the wheelchair? No, no, no. Um, not Hawkins. No, Hawkins. not Stephen Hawking. Um, you know in the cage there? Famous astronomer? Pla uh, the planetarium in New York. He's, he's a man of color, African-American. Okay. Uh, anyway, he's brilliant. And, you know, I think he says it too. We are made of the same stuff as stars. Carbon. There is carbon out there in the universe, and there is carbon within us. We are carbon-based life forms. So we are, that's, we are God, if, if you want to think of that as God. We are the universe. I see. But still very materialist. Yeah. Carbon. Yeah. Carbon. And with, like, Marx and dialectical materialism, it's not... I mean, have you ever considered communism? Is, is, because that's the consummate materialist approach to living. Yeah, I would think I think communism, as I understand it, is kind of a people try it as it's kind of a noble experiment that ultimately is not feasible. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. men get involved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fascinating. Uh, a couple more things. Do you have uh, any animus? Uh, truly. Toward religious folk? Mm -mm. No, no, no. I uh, uh, I forget who said it. Nietzsche, maybe, or somebody said, you know, this world won't be a good place until the last uh, pope is strangled by the entrails of the last czar. You know, <laughs> so, so you know, uh, those being the two the polar opposites yeah. of religious tyranny and and uh, a political tyranny, the yeah. czar and the pope, but. Uh, no, I don't, and I do. I do. Ne I would never begrudge anyone their faith uh, if it brings if it brings you comfort, if it helps you deal with the world, if it uh, if it if it nurtures you. That's great. I and I and I think that, and I would never try to dissuade you of that. I would never try to convince you of my opinion about the, these sorts of things. I'll tell you my opinion if you want to know, like yeah. I just have, but I'm not out to convince anybody yeah. that what I say is right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, my mother-in-law is a very good Mormon woman. Just, I love her dearly. She's just absolutely so sweet and great, and I hope, I think her religion brings her, but it causes her turmoil, too, you know? That, that her kids have fallen away from the church, that hurts her, you know? Mm -hmm. I just, uh, that makes me feel bad mm -hmm. that, that 
that the religion imposes that on you, mm -hmm. that it makes you feel guilty, or not, you you somehow haven't been a good enough person, or those children would have stayed with the religion. Yeah. You know, that's just that just that just makes me feel so bad. You know, yeah. so if it, if your religion gives you comfort, I'm looking around at all these religious symbols in here, yeah, and quasi religious symbols. Yeah. Uh, I I mean I I kind of like them, and I. Yeah. And I, uh, I recognize their significance and their power, mm -hmm. and they must have great meaning to you, yeah. and that's terrific. Right. I would never, unless your religion is trying to hurt me or someone else. Yeah. There, there are some of these assholes in the, you know, these preachers in the South, or mm -hmm. like we we're talking about one on the radio today who went on this diatribe. He happens to be going by a football field, and it's peewee football being played on a Sunday in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how the hell that happened, <laughs> but but it's peewee football. They're playing football, and he assumes they're not <coughs> going to church, or maybe he knows some of the kids and they're not in church. So he goes on this diatribe on on online, on Facebook or something, live. Uh, the All of these little kids are going to burn in hell, and it's going to be their parents' fault, and those little girls that are dressed like cheerleaders are whores. You know, and I mean, oh my it's just gosh. like... There's just too much of that kind of thing in the world. There is. I just... <sighs> I want to say something to our audience as a segue here. Um, I trust uh, deeply that Bill is being upfront with us. And many of you are Christians. And many of you are, are sick of what our faith, simple faith, has done uh, to get a reputation like this. We have a man here... He respects people's right to have their faith. He says, he told me, he just said to us, I don't have any animus against you. You have that and that makes you happy. My mother-in-law is Mormon. I'm fine with it. I suggest that we have the same response to people who are atheists and agnostics, that we don't view them as enemies to destroy us. I've, I, so far, we've done a couple atheists, and I have found this to be the general view. Look at live and let live, man. Just go ahead if it's making you happy. You're not trying to hurt me. Don't, and, and I can't emphasize enough how much evangelicalism has really hurt this faith and uh, given us a black eye like the idiot in down south that he just mentioned. So just remember, we're talking to somebody. He's a, he's a father. He's got younger kids. He's 40 year plus years in radio. Uh, He's, he's eloquent. He's being honest. He said he felt guilt for the Vietnam thing. We have a man who is, is expressing himself, and he says, I don't believe that there's a God. And he says, I'm going to be worm food when I die. And I, of course, want to tell him that I don't believe that uh, because I think so much more of him. But he's not worm food. But that is a separate issue. The thing I'm trying to point out in doing this with Bill is that He's all right. Are, are there going to be people who, who listen to what I say and really, I'm a nice guy. You know, I have no animus, as he said, toward any of you. But are there going to be people, be people out there who are going to just be mean yes. to me? No, they're going to be mean to me. To you, because you, you allowed me to yes, talk? Yes, because I allowed you to express this and that I am siding with Bill and, and I'm not doing my duty to God who needs me to lash out with you with dogma. You know, that's what you get. Mm. Well, it, 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 it would be a, uh, it would be a, a, a futile effort. Yeah. Uh, and, but uh, I wouldn't, you know, if you want to just, you know, if you want to, if, if religious people sometimes want to try and convince me a little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit, and you kind of did a little bit, mm -hmm. 
you know, now, now, Bill, if <laughs> how would he think you're trying to convince a me little, a little bit? There's a little. That's okay. I, you know, I don't mind that. I don't mind being proselytized mm -hmm. a bit. I, I'm happy to discuss it with people. Uh, I had some Mormon missionaries come to my door a while ago, and and I this is two or three years ago, and I I said hi, you know, I I, I know what the message is, and I I don't know why I answered the door, frankly, <laughs> but just to say, just to say hi, and uh, I hope you elders are having a, a good day. And they said, well, you so you're not a Mormon anymore, and I said no. They said, well, what about God? Do you believe in God? And I said, well, no, I don't believe in God. <laughs> One of them went, well, that's lame. <laughs> me up out of the mouth of babes <laughs> just crack me up yeah well that's lame and i actually i told that story on the radio oh wow and uh, and i mean i didn't identify him because i didn't know who it was yeah. or anything like that about a week later he came back with uh like the uh stake president or the mission president or something and they said we 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 came here because we'd like to kind of apologize for the elder saying that's lame wow. that's really not the way to go but could we talk to you for a few minutes oh. and I said uh, okay sure you've done you've gone out of your I was surprised yeah. you know you've, you've gone out of your way to come and apologize which I it's not necessary I just I said he was fine I just thought it was funny yeah he yeah. was he was he was astonished yeah that I would say that and I just thought it was funny but I'll sure I'll talk to you. so we sat down on my front porch mm -hmm. me and they were three or four Mormon elders and their and the two missionaries and they they kind of tried to draw me back in a little bit and I just said you know and I just was nice and you know good can I get you some lemonade and you know we'll we'll chat and uh, huh. it was okay it, but it it does not convince me fascinating <laughs> no doesn't convince me you mentioned one thing before we uh, wrap up. Uh, Bill, and you said that I think you were talking about certain people. You called the people cannon fodder. Do you remember what that was? Well, I was talking about Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, and your friends who went over there, and yeah. Yeah, and I and I knew, you know, I, I mean, I didn't have anybody close to me who went and was killed in Vietnam, but it was just such a waste. I, and that, I mean, if you're asking what what I mean by that, no, no, just... it just made me think of something. Uh, and, and along the line, my my uh, father-in-law, now deceased, was a full bird colonel. Uh, he lived it like a full bird colonel mm -hmm. would. But he said, and he went to Vietnam three times. He said, if they if that war came up now, and I knew what I knew, I'd, I wouldn't go. So I mean, even a full bird colonel would say that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were saying it at that time, so I think your wife was right. Mm -hmm. But the, the idea of cannon fodder, to me, uh, it seems like those Mormon missionaries, they're cannon fodder for the agenda. They don't know. They're full of zeal. They believe it. They're going to do their time. And, I, and it's not just them. It's, it's the, the religious folk of every walk. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses yes, who come around. Or... all of it. And they just don't know the truth. That's what you said about the cannon. They were cannon fodder. They didn't know the truth of the war. And I'm not sure how many people really know the truth of of a lot of stuff they get behind and wave the flag and... Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I was th talking about this th very thing with Mormon missionaries the other day. I was talking to somebody about it. And it's, 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 I don't know what the statistics are, but how many kids come back from their missions and quit the church. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. And I, so I wonder, and I don't know, the, the, the LDS Church, I'm sure, recognizes this as a problem. Mm -hmm. And... I, I don't know. They must have ways that they are trying to deal with it. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't know. I don't either. You, and if they don't, I don't know why. Mm. Why aren't they trying to deal with it? Other than maybe they just think, well, there's enough. Maybe if they quit, we can just we can just throw more out there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's I don't know. I was thinking that was kind of cannon fodder. I was thinking the same along mm. the same lines. Yeah. But you know, I by no means I was a little afraid when I came on this show because I didn't know too much about you. Mm-hmm. I didn't want any of this to be like Mormon bashing or no, anything no. like that. Or I don't Elvis. do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anymore. I didn't even through that. I think I saw some stuff that you had done yeah, that. Yeah, I used to do that a lot. Yeah. No more. And there, and it's just, I, you know, I have, again, no animus. I like that word a lot. Yeah. No animus toward the Mormon church. Um, if Again, if it gives people comfort and strength. And the Mormon church does a lot of great charitable things in, in the world, mm-hmm. you know, going to the assistance of flood victims and mm-hmm. things like that. And I think in most cases... Most cases, their intentions are good. Mm-hmm. Well, I won't. Some, sometimes some maybe they're maybe they're stupid in some decisions. At North Temple, from the top, yeah. maybe just a little bit. Yeah, they kind of like think, think this through a little bit yeah. more. The, I mean, the the stuff that they're doing, trying to get to step into uh, opposing medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, and, and and they're but they're doing it in a way that they know. If I understand it correctly, and I don't know, maybe you want to end this, that, but they, uh, the Mormon Church has said, well, we believe that medical marijuana could have a place. We're not against that specifically, but we want it to be done, we think it should be done in this way to be carefully regulated. It should be dispensed from a pharmacy. Well, that's not possible. It has to be dispensed from a uh, you know what uh, what they call a, a clinic or a because if a pharmacy tries to dispense marijuana they're federally licensed and the feds would immediately come in and take their license because marijuana is against the law and the same thing for uh, doctors the and then the LDS church says we we need to uh, have doctors write prescriptions again no in other states they 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 sell the marijuana out of a dispensary, not a pharmacy, and doctors don't write prescriptions for it. They they write a suggestion, because if they wrote a prescription, again the feds would come in and say, I, they could probably take their medical license, and they would. So that's how they've gotten, and I. The, the LDS Church, I know it's been po- that's been pointed out to them that those two conditions you have put on it will make it impossible. Yeah, yeah. They're just hoping people vote against it. Yeah, which I resent personally. Yeah, I you know. I resent it. I resent the email. I, that's what I yeah. resent. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and I understand their again. I understand their fear. I understand. I understand Trump supporters' fear. The world has spun out of control as far as they're concerned. I think we never kind of got around to that, talking about that. That's why Trump happened, because people are, wait a minute, same-sex marriage, bathrooms for, oh my God, what's going on here? Marijuana, the world is coming to an end. And I used to have a job and I don't. It's been phased out because society has changed. It's, it's, hard, it's hard for those people. Yeah. They're, they're scared and they're angry and they voted for Trump. Interesting times. I have to ask one question before we wrap it up, and then I'm going to give you a chance, whether you want it or not, to kind of say the final thing of our conversation. But the question is, top five bands. 
anybody who's been in radio for 40 years, you must love music. I really like, uh, you know, some of the old, so I think the Beatles probably was, you know, mm -hmm. when I was a kid, they just, and who, that's the easy thing to say. Okay. And I liked the Beach Boys a lot, mm -hmm. particularly after they developed a little bit and Brian Wilson really started doing some amazing things. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then his, Brian Wilson's comeback mm -hmm. after being crazy for all those years. And he did a, he did an album when he came back called Smile. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was always a Rolling Stones fan as well. Okay. Uh, who? I've seen, and I've seen all these bands in concert. But I, of new bands, uh, there's a, a band called the the Arcade Fire. Hmm. I've heard of them. You, you, the, you, their their latest song is, uh, I don't know if the album's called the same thing, but their latest song is called Everything Now. Hmm. I can't stop listening to it. Hmm. Check it out. Everything Now by Arcade Fire, and uh, that was probably four or five. Four. Any others linger? Uh, you know the. I really like, uh, I like a lot of the punk bands and um, and a lot of the, uh, I don't know who's, you know, I mean, there was such great stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, I like um, uh, Depeche Mode, mm -hmm. but um, uh, just a lot of those dark synth bands were really great. Yeah. Um, so I like a lot of that stuff. And where's... Remember Peter Murphy and sure. uh, God, I love. Yeah. He'd come to town every once in a while. Oh, and I and I. Um, what's his name? Nick Cave. Oh yeah. And the Bad Seeds. Mm -hmm. And they, um, you if you you want to hear a beautiful religious song hmm. that they that he wrote and sings, uh, "Into My Arms." It's called. Okay. Uh, you know. It will make you cry. Hmm. Just thinking about that song makes me cry. I'll check it out. It's called Into My Arms by Nick Cave and Red Right Hand by Nick Cave. That one I know mm -hmm. because of Peaky Blinders. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill, I can't thank you enough. I know you didn't know much about me and, and the show we do, but you were brave and you came on you and you revealed yourself and you talked. Uh, wonderful things. And I hope our audience grew in love. That's what we're about is love. More for all people. And Bill represents a segment of our society that often Christians kind of will kick against. And I don't think there's a need for it. Any final thought at all to share mm. with our audience? Anybody, probably people are wondering, what's that thing you keep playing with? This thing right here? Oh, yeah. I keep messing, just kind of, I have are one of these. Are you going to do a shameless plug? No, I, no, sort of, but I don't, <laughs> I don't have any interest in this company oh, okay. or anything. But I discovered this, I don't know, a few years ago. And, uh, it's uh, it's called a netty stick, like netty pot. Yeah. And I was looking for something to uh, unplug my nose, and it's like an inhaler, huh. but it there it's not addictive in any way or anything. But I'm telling, and I don't have a stuffed up nose, but I always carry one of these, and periodically I will just go. <sighs> it's just you know don't, don't stick it in your nose, but just smell it. Smell it and smell how doesn't that smell great? Oh yeah, and it's just Very herbs nice. and it's just an aromatic little. You know how they say, and I don't really get into that kind of. What's the name stuff. of it? It's called a netty stick. Where do you get it? 
Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of hard to find. Uh, it's so hard to find that I just decided I would order it from Amazon, and I got a box that had 20 of them in it. Huh. You know, uh, but uh, I like health food stores probably have it, and and it just it says it's an inhaler for stuffed up nose, but I just maybe four or five times a day I'll just. <sighs> And it's just refreshing. He, he had a platform to say anything he wanted, and he wanted to share with us the Netty Stick, available at Amazon. Yeah. I really don't. I don't. I thought people probably just wonder, because I probably noticed I've been... I was kind of wondering what that was. Yeah, well, there, that's it. Bill, thanks so much. Pleasure.